everyone, and welcome to episode 91 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we march towards Apple's next event to see what's in the cards for the roots of a possible evolution. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm excited to uh, march on to the next event. Exactly, and... All the rumors are pointing towards a March 25th event at Apple's HQ up in Cupertino. And interestingly, this event shouldn't be product-based and more services-based. I guess it goes back to the whole idea that services is really an important sector for Apple. We talked about that on the last podcast about their earnings report. And so with that, the first rumor came that Apple's going to launch a whole news program, a news service that may be $10 a month, and it's going to build upon their acquisition of the Texture app from a few years ago. So now they're essentially rebranding it, releasing it under their name, combining it with what they already do on Apple News, and packaging it together for $10 a month. And then the following day, a rumor came out that Apple's TV subscription service is also going to be ready for this March 25th event. And that's going to offer two different service packages. And the TV subscription service, they kind of aren't sure what's going to be the end game. Is it going to be free if you already own an Apple TV? Is it going to be $15 a month? Is there going to be some kind of mixture in between? Is it going to be connected to Apple Music in any regard? So with that, it leaves us still question marks, even though we have a broad sense of what to expect on March 25th. Right, yeah. I mean, first with the the texture thing, they bought them a, a year ago. It's almost, I think it was March 2018, and they've done pretty much nothing with it. They kind of kept it the same. It makes sense that maybe they rolled this all into, like, one big encompassing subscription service to go against, like, Amazon or something. Like, make it stand out rather than having all these separate pieces if they offered, like, a enticing bundle to hit all the various media aspects like here's people that want written media here's people that want music here's people that want uh movies and tv and kind of group it all in one big offering i think that's a much more appealing option than to have just another service and like you said we don't know how they're planning on monetizing this like do they just give away this content for free and basically you're paying by buying one of their devices. Maybe you have to buy the Apple TV. Maybe they start supporting it through the Apple TV app in the on any device, and then you don't even need to have a TV. I, I don't know exactly how they're planning on rolling this thing out. We just are seeing a lot of rumors that this is what this event is going to be about. Right, that's the crux of the potential event is how the pricing scheme is going to work. I really like the bundle idea. Essentially, even you could offer them standalone because say, I don't want to read magazines or I don't care about your Apple Music service that you've been offering and I haven't signed up for it. And so I can do a la carte. I can get them individually. Or maybe I'm going to go all in because instead of it's like, I don't know, $30 for all of them, or I can get a bundled price for 25 or 20 I'm going to go with the bundle. It just offers an incentive to bundle them together, and maybe it even helps a service that is, wouldn't potentially sell as well. So that's going to be definitely interesting. And Apple's reportedly inviting some Hollywood stars to the event on March 25th, including J.J. Abrams, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Weatherspoon, Jennifer Garner, who all are kind of participating in Apple's original programming. So the main portion of this TV subscription service is Apple's original programming, you know, to compete with Netflix original, Hulu originals, Prime original content. It's not more, you know, because right now, I don't know how difficult it would be for Apple to work with Disney and NBC Universal and the different companies to get all that content into this whole, like, set-top box alternative subscription service. I think that's down the road, or I don't even know if it's possible if they'll all kind of work together, especially because Disney's going to offer their own programming in 2020. So I think Apple's more focusing on their original content for this announcement. Right. I mean, there are some rumors that they will have stuff like some content from HBO and stars where it's more of like a, a Netflix setup where they're rebroadcasting this stuff rather than having like 
a TV channel. It's like you're going to get all these channels and you can watch the content live or or DVR type service. It sounds more like it's going to be something to compete with Netflix where they have their own original content and other content that they've licensed to basically re-air and allow people to watch through their service. And I, I don't know. It, it, to me, they'd almost be better off if they weren't going for this full TV offering like YouTube TV where they're offering channels and this is going to be your one and only thing, then just have like original content. And people are already getting a lot of this other content elsewhere. I don't, I don't know unless they have enough of it that it's going to warrant a higher price tag to have this all-encompassing thing or just keep it inexpensive and offer only original content and maybe you'll get people kind of like the CBS one where it's pretty cheap, it's cheaper and maybe people will jump on board because it's not as expensive or if you're bundling it with other things you don't have to have all of this other content. Right, I mean Netflix, you know, people are going to rewatch The Office or Parks and Rec or Breaking Bad and then Amazon you have Sopranos and The Wire and it just really kind of depends what you're watching at the moment, but it's kind of that re-airing older programs. Hulu goes a different way where they're kind of re-airing an emphasis on more current stuff, like you can see the recent season of Atlanta or Legion or Empire or something like that. So it's kind of different. They all have their own specific niche. So does Apple go directly at any of those, or do they kind of create their own area because cbs all access is a definite good comparison just because you have star trek discovery you have the upcoming twilight zone from jordan peele so it's specific original content it's like 5.99 a month it's just a whole different idea rather than oh we're gonna here we're gonna offer everything netflix does plus our very few originals compared to <laughs> the hundreds and thousands of netflix originals so that that's a tough comparison so i think you got to create your own niche or people are aren't going to care unless they ingrain it so much into you already have apple music this is a tiny addition or you want you'll use texture in the past or you like the magazines and newspaper idea this is just a tiny addition i think that's how apple's going to distinguish itself by being built right into the tv app like you mentioned and having some connection where i already have my apple tv my ios devices some really quick connection bundled idea yeah, I mean, they're so late to the game that unless they surprise people with some massive amount of stuff, then they can't go head-to-head -head right out of the gate with something like Netflix. People are have that too ingrained unless they have some way of just basically giving this stuff to you for free that you now will use this instead of paying Netflix your $10 a month. But there's so much original content on Netflix that they're not going to oust Netflix right away, at least. Uh, and I, I don't know. I'm just This is what I'm most curious about when they, they have this thing. I just want to see what the pricing is and what they're actually going to be offering because this has been so long coming, long time coming, that it's about time to finally take the wraps off this and see what it is. Yeah, it's been rumored for, I don't even know how long, when they first talked about Apple's own TV streaming service. It seems like in the meantime, and all the money they've spent, they could have just acquired Netflix or Hulu or something. But <laughs> whatever, regardless, go with this operation and just see how much you can do. Because then someone was speculation, speculating on pricing. If Apple charges $15 a month and they take like a 30% cut, they would need 250 million subscribers to this program, and that would get them about 13 billion in revenue. And in the last quarter, Netflix made 15 billion, and that's a small blip for Apple. You know, when you're making like 80 billion or whatever, or I think 15 billion was for the year for Netflix. So if you're making 80 billion in a quarter, 15 billion for the year is not that big of a deal. Apple Watch is doing more than that, and we see how big of an impact that has on Apple's bottom line. So this is kind of just an interesting idea by Apple where even the ultimate payoff, like say you just nail this launch, everyone you know signs up for it, it still doesn't really impact Apple's bottom line, but they're putting a lot of time and investment into it. Right, Yeah. and yeah, this is what kind of payoff is this going to have? Is this just really to start something bigger or is this kind of to test the waters to see if this is something they want to jump whole hog into and I, I don't know it's just kind of a 
a confusing setup, especially where there's all those rumors of them starting like a YouTube TV type of setup. And now we have this whole separate setup, like what's true, what's false and where, what area does this actually fall into and what are their, their plans for it is the big questions. Cause then it also ties into the whole leaks question. Where are these leaks coming from? We, usually know that for like a new iPhone those leaks come from China when the parts are leaked in the supply chain. During WWDC and the ramp up, rumors are tougher because that's all built in-house at Apple. So in this case, I'm sure Apple wants to keep the wraps on it, but then, you know, the whole broadcasters, Hollywood stars have a different idea that they want to actually get information out that this person's starting a new show and they're working with Apple or whatever the case. So it it's a whole different dynamic of leaking things at specific times. And again, I think Apple's doing all of this as quietly as possible just with the anticipation that's going to help sell more Apple TVs or more iPhones and iPads and Macs. I don't think they really care about the service doing well. It's more about, oh, look, if I get a new Apple TV, I can watch this new show that only Apple has. It's just a whole different thing. Because then also it makes you wonder, is Apple going to release an Apple TV that's not $170? Are they going to have that little dongle that's $30 to complete compete with that Google Home dongle or the Google Home Mini and the little Fire TV stick and those kind of things. Right, or are they going to license it and it's going to be in baked into TVs like Roku is and how it just kind of be the OS now that they're not going to necessarily... we It doesn't sound like they're going to make their own TV. So now are the, the word deals where they're going to be adding AirPlay 2 to TVs. So the next step would be to just to bake this in if they if they can get a deal to to have it all included and then you don't even have to worry about it you're using the tvos right on your television i mean really what we need is someone who's like an apple employee to get drunk and leave their apple tv <laughs> in a bar and then maybe we can find out what's going on yeah at ces that was kind of a big deal that like panasonic is allowing AirPlay 2 to communicate directly with the TV. So then Apple doesn't need to sell the little box. They don't need to even sell a dongle. It connects with the, you know, it's essentially what they're doing with Apple CarPlay, where the cars have it built in. Now your TV has it built in. So it's a whole different licensing arrangement. But then it lets Apple not have to focus on making hardware of TVs or making their own car. They can focus instead on the OS and licensing it out. So that's also a different revenue stream and a different way to look at putting your software and platform out there. Yeah, Samsung was one of the ones that they announced. That was shocking right. that they were they were on board with this. They didn't give a whole list of the companies. They just said leading TV manufacturers. But uh, it's definitely an interesting development that now this is happening because that's one of the the kind of annoying thing is you need that apple tv hooked up if you want to just quickly show off your photos or or do something where if they have this in pretty much every tv that was out there immediately people could be connecting with their phones to their televisions and they make it like if i had two side-by-side tvs and one had it baked in and one didn't I know if everything else was similar i would choose the one that had it in because i don't use it a lot but it's there if you need it yeah, exactly. And if you are wondering about hardware, so this is going to be mainly services. Again, news and TV, the news is a little bit more straightforward simply because Texture had a really good service of offering, I think it was $15 a month. and it was then the 10. free. Oh, it was only 10 So 10 gave yeah. you unlimited access to all the magazines they had, and they had connected to all the big magazine publishers. So with that, I mean, that's pretty straightforward. We'll see if Apple does $10 or they'll change it up. And then hardware, though, that's more of an, like kind of a question because there's been rumors that there's a new iPad Mini 5, a 7th generation kind of low-end iPad. The AirPower's still waiting. AirPods 2 are possible. And a new 7th generation iPod Touch. All of these aren't going to be drastic changes. We know what they are for the most part. We just don't know when they're coming Though it doesn't seem like they would come at this event. It seems like they would be more prone to be a pr- press release because I think they're ready for a spring launch date. I don't know if Apple saves them till WWDC in June, but I don't think they're going to be at the March 25th event. 
Yeah, I mean, the only reason... I mean, there's not enough there that they would show these devices off. They really want to have a focused event on the streaming services where I think this would kind of muddy the waters. And yeah, they could say like, oh, well, you can use these new devices in order to to consume this content. But I, I don't know. I think you're right. I think they'll probably just end up doing this as a quiet press release, which is unfortunate because I know there's a lot of people still clamoring for iPad minis uh, I've had several people ask me because they know that I, I follow this stuff. Oh, is there another iPad mini coming out? When is, when is that? Or the iPod touches. Lots of parents use these so that they don't have to buy their kids a phone. They can delay the phone by using these iPod touches. And the fact that we haven't had one in several years now, uh, finally there's a new one coming. It This is kind of big news for certain groups of people where they'd be really excited about these announcements but they may never see them if it's some quiet little press release that unless uh the tv news picks it up and announces it or they just happen to see it in the store they're not even going to know these things are coming and the one interesting connection i see is that the ipad mini 5 the seventh generation entry-level ipad and the ipod touch they all share one thing they're apple's entry-level devices where you know iPhone 10 costs a grand, and then you got to get the cellular plan. iPod Touch gives you what the iPhone does, but you don't need a cellular plan. It doesn't cost a grand. And then, you know, they have those new iPad Pros that start at like $799 or something, and this one is going to be $329, and the iPad Mini is kind of below that. So the only connection I see is get these really entry-level into our ecosystem, and then you have access to these brand-new services we've introduced. Like, these are the cheapest ways to get an Apple device and then you can still get these great new subscription services we introduced today. Right. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I could I could definitely see that. It, it depends on who they're trying to target. Like, is this going to be an event where they're trying to talk directly to the consumer? Like, we've seen other events where are they're talking to educators. Or here, are they talking to Hollywood? Or are they talking to us? Like, are they trying to convince Hollywood to climb on board with this thing? Or are they trying to talk direct to the consumer and say, hey, look, we want you to sign up for these services uh, that we have, rather than just trying to pull on more content from it, to, by using the event to try to grow the content. Yeah, and we'll be able to tell right at the start of what kind of angle we're going. I, I feel like it's more an event for Hollywood to get people on board. That's why we're inviting Hollywood stars. I bet you there's going to be other investors there. You know, like, I'm sure Bob Iger's <laughs> going to be there. And it's going to be different than, oh, look, consumers, here's the cheapest way to get our awesome new streaming service to compete with everybody else. It's more, look at all these awesome services that you can be a part of. It's just a different perspective from Apple. Right, right. Yeah, and like you said, I think we'll figure this out pretty quickly, who this is really targeting. Yep. And so that is pretty much the Apple news for this week. There always seems to be Apple news. And March 25th is just over a month away, so we're not going to have to wait too long. Yep. But that means it's time for some new games that are actually out now. You can play them. And the first one is Rotera, which has this kind of uh, familiar idea where if you play Euclidean Lands, you have that kind of idea of these rotating puzzle pieces to move a character through a progression and it does that but it's not as 3d you know it's not this whole rubik's cube rotating the world idea essentially it's more of kind of a puzzle platformer where you're going to drag and rotate individual pieces so the princess can move through the forest and progress through kind of the lands to get back to her castle because she's been dismissed or dethroned by this evil guy so it's kind of accessible but it it's still kind of a new idea it's familiar it, it's kind of blends the two but the core idea is that you tap to move the princess will get to a point where this piece has these little uh, markers on all four corners that way you can tell that you can rotate it and so you can spin it horizontally to rotate kind of this l piece so it makes a connection from her square over to the next square or you can rotate the entire piece to maybe uncover a different, like a straight line pathway that's on the bottom side of this cube that you need to spin around. And that's pretty much the majority of the game. Yeah, so I, this one immediately kind of captivated me just with the visuals of it and the idea of how 
like it, it had so much potential where you see like all these building blocks that they have, literally building blocks that they have, that they can use these various rotation and twisting uh, pieces to it. But then the whole start of the game for me, it just felt too easy. And I didn't know if it was because this is like a fairy tale theme if it was aimed for kids and so but I kept on playing through and eventually I hit some levels where you have all these different colored gems so you basically have to go and move the princess on top of a colored like pressure pad and that triggers one of these gems to start glowing and now you can rotate that piece that the gem is on and then that'll cause other pieces to kind of go up and down or do, or trigger some other movement of other specific pieces so now you have to kind of figure out all the different gems you got to go and touch them and trigger them and kind of just line everything up so that she can either reach different colored touch pads or eventually find the exit of this one level that she's in the problem i had was there were so many of these levels at the start that you basically just had to touch one or two things max and you made it through the level and it just felt like you were just kind of moving along just not doing much of anything and then all of a sudden you're hit by a super long level that's intricate and you have to do all kinds of stuff and i was like finally okay this is challenging i like this but there was nothing in between you kind of went from almost nothing to just almost overwhelming with the amount of things you had to figure out the right order and taps and touches in order to figure out and there was never like that middle ground or a progression of difficulty it kind of just jumped up where it was just too boring and then almost a little too intense because you weren't prepared for it yeah at the beginning you know it's a very specific a to b progression and then as you go, you'll start to need to backtrack through the pathways that you went. So there's more possible pathways and it becomes more of that order of operation puzzle game. But like you, there's not the smooth difficulty curve. You know, a game like Angry Birds progressively gets tougher and Candy Crush. And that's why these games stick around, just because anyone can play them and it just kind of keeps you going along without this sudden really tough ramp up and that's what this game has and I think that's where it stumbles because it does have a good design quality it's simple to control even though you have these 3d movements it's a little sticky to kind of switch between rotating on a horizontal plane and rotating on the vertical plane but other than that I mean you have all these good components but it just doesn't I think a lot of people are going to give up at the beginning because it's so boring and repetitive and they won't get to the tougher stretch. And then the people who do stick around, I think by the time they reach the tougher stretch, you're just not going to be prepared because it kind of just comes at you all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I think if they just retool some of the earlier levels, they might be able to keep people's interest and and maybe adjust the difficulty as as they step through, like add some more stuff to those earlier levels. And I think that'll prepare you for the later stuff. The other issue I kind of had was the whole camera in it. Cause it felt like I wanted to be able to zoom and rotate the whole level to be able to see things. And you just, you were kind of at the mercy of however they decide to show you the level via this, this remote camera. So there were times where I didn't, couldn't quite see at the angle I wanted to or uh, manipulate things the way I wanted to to know that like there's a like there might be a a block way in the back that you can rotate but if you just don't happen to see the little glowing pieces on it you may not realize that you can even rotate that piece and I was playing on an iPad I can only imagine if you're playing this on a phone be able to see some of this stuff or having that difficulty of the rotation and the the horizontal and the vertical rotation kind of flipping between those things because it w definitely seemed a little touchy and didn't always work quite the way you wanted granted there's you, you're not going to get killed or anything by doing it the wrong way it's just more of a nuisance than anything else but yeah i i, I think with some work i think it could reach its full potential but i think as it is it, it was a little disappointing yeah it was a definite letdown because you go into the game you know, if there's a big banner on the App Store, you can pre-order it, you see the design, you see the preview video, it's like, okay, this this is going to be a good game, and you get into it, and it's like, I'm just going through the motions, this is pretty bland, and all of that promising nature kind of just dissipates as you go. Yep. And so that's Rotera, it's three ninety nine. it's Universal. And then there's Evolution, the board game, which Brett mentioned at the end of our last podcast, they started that 
physical card version of the board game giveaway. And regardless if you played before or haven't, you know the the physical or digital, anything like that, now it is available on the iPad and... I think I saw this first game this game the first time at GDC 2017 and now it's available here in February of 2019 so almost 2 years later and they put a lot of time and polish into what the game was from where I saw it. So it's a pretty involved game. So I don't want to explain how to play it. It's more of just kind of the ultimate kind of takeaway where you get to essentially create these creatures and the creatures try to survive in this multiplayer card-based game so you're dealt a deck of cards and each of those cards are going to be traits that you can use and so you start as just a herbivore and you're going to eat the foodstuffs that are in this little pond and then as you go you can then become a carnivore but carnivores can only eat or yeah eat by killing other characters or attacking other characters and so you're going to constantly balance between being a herbivore and carnivore with body size and physical traits that benefit either the herbivore or carnivore to survive like you're going to have a hard shell to increase your body size and then that body size if you are a herbivore that is a size 4 and the carnivore is a size 3 he can't attack you so you want to make sure if you're a herbivore you're at a certain size but you also want to build up your carnivore size to be able to counter that and then you can also increase the population size of your different characters, so you then need to feed more, but you also get more cards in your deck and you'll earn more points at the end of the game. But you also, if you use those cards on population size versus body size, you might be more prone to attack. And then also, you get to play a certain card to put out foods in the pond at the start. If you your herbivore doesn't have enough to eat, they're also going to die. So either way, if your carnivore doesn't have enough other enemies to be able to eat on it's going to die or decrease your population size and if there's not enough little food items in the pond for your herbivores they're going to lose your population size and die and ultimately you want to keep your creatures alive for as long as possible but really the main distinction of this game we've seen a ton of digital board games it's you can play online multiplayer as you would expect you play local pass and play multiplayer but the distinction is there's a campaign and so this gives you a whole different way to play a digital board game just because now you have specific games you're going to play because you know any board game you play based on how much you want to if you have other people to play with but this game always gives you something to do regardless if you have anyone else around or you get tired of kind of playing that same concept right and that that campaign mode it works as a fantastic tutorial because there are so many different cards with all these different traits that learning how to kind of strategize with those different traits what it does is it takes just a couple of them at a time and kind of teaches you those traits and how you might use them because you don't know what you're going to get you get a random draw of cards so you kind of have to play with the 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 traits that you're dealt kind of like life itself so you just kind of use what you've been given and then you got to figure out the best way to use it do you use those cards for the traits do you use them because you don't know how to use that trait or it doesn't really fall into your game plan to just build up the size and population of your characters it's all these different levels of strategy that kind of are that I love about this game because everything is always different. Every game's different because you don't know what you're going to get dealt and then trying to figure out how to use it. And then even with that pool of food that's in the center, if you have only carnivores, you may want to play zero food to that because everyone kind of secretly plays a card at the beginning of each round where that's the food that goes into the general population that all those herbivores are going to have to eat from. And if you don't have any herbivores, you're like, I don't want to give food to that. So now you might choose a card that has zero food or even negative food to try to take away from that food population. But say that card is something you want to use that has those low numbers or negative numbers you may be forced to put food in there because you don't want to give up this card because you want to use it for its actual trait instead so there's all these decisions you're making uh all the time and so there's always something and playing through that that campaign is something that's so unique to a digital version because you're not gonna be able to play that in the physical version and it just 
acts as like this great tool along with like a fun new way to play. Right now, it does only have the online play where you're playing uh, at the same time. So everyone, it's real time. You have a timer on your turn. You have to do it quickly. They are working on both that asynchronous and the pass and play multiplayer. Those are still, they're almost ready, but they're still in the works. They're not out yet. Uh, but if you want to play against AI, you can play by yourself against AI players if you want. And that has, uh, you unlock those different levels of AI while you're uh, playing through that campaign mode. So by playing through and learning the game, you're unlocking additional levels of AI. And then now you can go and challenge those different AI players as well uh, to try to give more and more of a challenge. Yeah. And that's kind of the main idea is that since there's so many layers of strategy, the more you play, the more you're just going to pick up and learn. Because like you said, every single turn, you have so many decisions to make from the just placing the number of foods in the potential pool for everybody else based on what animals you have. And then also, you know, you're dealt a limited number of cards and those cards can be used in multiple ways. You can use them to create a new creature, use them to boost body size, use them to boost population or use them as the traits themselves to enhance the characters you have. But every time you play a card, that's one less you have. So, you know, you want to build up that body size if you're herbivore, but you also these traits are really compelling and there's alternatives you can do. And then the population is key because that's going to give you more cards and the same at creating a whole nother creature so if you have one creature and then you create a second one well that's one less card that you can then play on your existing creature and this new one starts at one of both population size and body size so it's going to be relatively vulnerable so do i go and create this whole new creature and maybe burn a card on that because it gets destroyed really quickly or do i use that card on my existing creature and make it really big and powerful so you have that constant delicate balance because you want to rack up those most possible points and have the most possible new cards come in on the next turn just because you can do so much with them yeah, trying to figure out what to do with the cards is the hardest part because you do have such a limited number of cards each turn that, like, do I burn this? Like, am I if I throw out this new this new creature, is he just going to get eaten right away? Or you could end up in the situation where if you have carnivore and herbivore and your herbivore, that little guy you just put out, is the only one your carnivore can eat, he's going to have to eat him. So you can end up eating your own characters and losing points that way, too. So uh, there's all these trade-offs you're constantly having to think about. And in the, at least in that online play, you discover all these different tactics people try. Like, I've seen so many unique styles of gameplay that I never even would have thought of playing. And there's some people that go all whole hog right out of the gate and try to throw up as many different creatures as they can and just really expand out and then start to lay on the traits maybe the next turn. You'll see other people that really put up like a really defended herbivores right at the start or someone that goes right out of the gate and tries to do a carnivore and take out as many things as they can so there's all different strategies it's going to rely a little bit on what you get for cards but you can try so many different things because of that wide variety of the cards and just the what ends up showing up and coming out so it, it, that's what I just re really have been like I saw this back in uh, PAX East 2017 and I backed it on Kickstarter. I've been playing like the betas for for over a year now and I'm still enjoying this and still playing and it's it's just a, a really like I play a lot of digital board games and this is super well put together. I think they've actually been working on this thing for five years is what I've read. So they've been working well before they even announced it. They were working on this already and kind of getting in the work. So I've seen this thing through at least several years, but it's been been in the process for well longer than that. And you can definitely tell the amount of polish and thought that's gone into this and just the whole setup. On the iPad, you can read the cards very easily. On the phone, I think it's a little more difficult, but they do do this nice job of kind of like zooming in on your hand of cards when it's your turn so you can easily read the stuff without having to hopefully hold your finger on it and zoom in. And once you get used to the cards, you'll know what they are. Like, you won't have to zoom in on every time. As soon as you can see, like, the picture on the card, 
card. You you start to know the cards and you know what pack hunting does. You know what car the carnivore card does. You know what all these do eventually, and you won't have to really zoom in. I do prefer it on the iPad, but it's still very playable on an iPhone. And I mean the physical board game is an outstanding just board game with all the different strategy levels that we've been discussing but just the digital translation is so well done to make it readily available you know there's a lot of information to go through but you know you're not caught in this text blocks of you know introduction it makes it interactive to kind of build upon each of these steps and see how every card in the game has its own counter card possible to acquire and it's just through playing that you'll get better and better rather than just oh here I read the whole rule sheet maybe I can now spit it back out at the game so just really great digital implementation of a complex and enjoyable board game yeah and as far as the the cost goes so I'm a li- I think I know I how it works it. No, oh you I did have it. okay yeah so yeah. I downloaded the game for free because I know you had the test flight build and you can download it for free, play the full game, and then right now until February nineteenth, it's on sale, two dollars off. It's seven ninety nine instead of ten, and that lets you play unlimited multiplayer games because right now you can play one online multiplayer game a day, and then you unlock the brutal mode, which is the more difficult version of the campaign. Plus, you unlock the additional difficulties of the AI opponents when you're playing, and you can also host private games with your friends. So. Okay, For nice. free, yeah. you can kind of have access to the idea and kind of get engaged with it, but there's a lot behind that paywall. And as well, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're going to get into this game if you get it to try for free. I think this is a really good choice by these developers because they've done such a good job in creating this game. I think they're going to upsell it a lot and get the full game, especially because that campaign just will get you really involved in everything. Right, and that they, as I said before, it does a great job of teaching you how to play the game at the same time that you're playing it. So you're not going to be confused. Like it's not like you just spent ten dollars and you don't know how to play the game. You've now learned how to play. You're ready to go. You're going to want to play more of it. And now here's your chance to unlock it. Like I, I think I paid ten dollars when I backed it on Kickstarter. So. It's no no different for me. Actually, you can get it cheaper than I got it for uh, for right now if you're quick. Uh, and so you definitely, I would highly, highly recommend this. If you love digital board games, I think you get a lot of gameplay here. You get a lot of, and I, I know that they're bringing uh, at least one of the expansions that was unlocked during the Kickstarter campaign to the game. I, I assume it'll be an in-app purchase for people that didn't back the Kickstarter, but uh they are definitely going to continue to create content for this. The actual physical game has multiple expansions, so I'm sure that content, if this is popular enough, will start to make its way to the digital release as well to add new cards, new traits, uh, new uh, things to keep it even engaged uh, further with the game as it goes on. Yeah, if you like any type of board games or you like really strategy games and haven't delved that much into board games, there's just a lot to really partake in. So word of warning if you download it for free you're probably going to one end end up spending eight dollars so keep that in mind when you do download it <laughs> yeah so that's evolution the board game it's free it's universal and then there's spirit roots which is a familiar action platformer 2d side-scrolling action platformer and essentially you play on this planet that was torn apart and then pieced back together for thousands of years there's a tentative piece across the planet And, of course, now the planet's ripped apart again, and you're the one guy who has to save everything. And so the game is really well-designed in terms of design, aesthetic, and all that good stuff. And you have relatively easy on-screen controls with the left and right button. And then you have a jump, double jump, just double tap the button. And then you have the ability to use a sword for close combat. And then you also have a gun for longer combat. And that's all well and good. It just seems like... There's something missing with this game. I'm pretty much into all kinds of different platformers. It's my probably favorite genre. And this game, it's not necessarily difficult, but it seems like you get you die all the time. And I think the main <laughs> takeaway is just they have this one-touch death, but the enemy hitbox onto you is just really designed poorly where you know you can kill each other at the same time. You can shoot an enemy, and he can throw a pitchfork at you, and you'll both die. 
I can't imagine that was a good design decision, but just even one touch death at all. And then there's some enemies where you can't even defeat them until later in the game. So at the outset, you kind of just have to avoid them, but the game doesn't really give you any heads up at that. So it just seems like all these different times you're like, that guy didn't even touch me. Or I tried to jump over his head and his fist barely touched my foot and now I'm dead and I have to go back to my previous checkpoint. And after a certain number of times, you're like, this isn't very fun because <laughs> the actual core platformer concept isn't very engaging. So to have any frustrations in that formula at all detracts from the overall experience. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like I, th- I saw this. I thought, wow, this looks amazing. This is going to be a lot of fun. And then you get to that insta-death thing. And the thing is, you feel like they're cheap deaths because you're swinging your sword. You are definitely hitting this dude, and he's not going down. Like, you have to get two swipes of a sword on those those scarecrow-ish things, and you are in there, you're hitting him twice, and all of a sudden, maybe his pitchfork came even closer. Like, I think it just, like didn't actually touch me it breezed by me but it was enough that i must have gotten a sliver from the handle or something and i was really hurt and then you have to go back to that check mark uh, the checkpoint and it's so it gets so obnoxious after a while especially because there's these sequences where you're going and you have to jump into just questionable areas like you don't know what's going to be there so you jump over but the problem is even if you're swinging your sword while you're jumping over and you're hitting the guy you're not killing him like even it seems like you should kill him but every once in a while you'll come to one of them where it didn't register the hit and now they've just tossed their pitchfork and now you die and then you have to start over that then the checkpoint This would be a lot better if they had some sort of health meter instead. Don't use the stupid little hearts and the checkpoints. If you want to keep checkpoints, sure. But have some way that you can take a couple of hits, not have to restart a checkpoint each and every time, or fix the way that you kill them. Like like you said, that attack box, because it doesn't seem like it's right. I mean, you seem a little too floaty in movement, and then just to have this whole kind of lacking thing, it just really takes away from the gameplay because of these little things that just cause annoyances rather than fun. Yeah, and you just can't have that if you're going to have enjoyment, if you have annoyances rather than fun. Even just right at the outset, the way the background's drawn, you're jumping and it looks like a platform, but it's actually just artwork in the background and you fall right through to these spikes, even though the double jump kind of leads you right to it the way the collectibles in the screen are. They land right at this little green area. You're like, okay, I'll land here, and you just fall right through it, and it's actually just a part of the background. I mean, that's indicative of the overall game where it's like these little gotcha moments where even if the enemy's pitchfork, he doesn't throw it. You kind of just run into him. Say you don't attack or shoot the gun. If you touch him in any way, you're dead. And they have these little three hearts in the upper left, but those act as lives within the game. Rather than letting you take a hit, oh, I have two hearts, or I took another hit, I still have one heart, and you keep slashing away at the guy. But no, instead, one touch death, and now you have two hearts to try to complete the rest of the level from the checkpoint. It's just a weird design decision, and... I I don't think they're ever going to fix it. This is kind of just the game that they've released. And it's just disappointing because there are a lot of good parts of the game. It's really beautifully designed. It has a really smooth control scheme for kind of an action platformer on iOS. But it's just, it loses the fun. Yeah, I'm just wondering how this even went through beta testing and people didn't complain about that. They must have just used, like, some set of friends or something. I don't know. It just seems kind of odd that this wouldn't have been caught, that people were annoyed by this during beta testing. Yeah. And so that's Spirit Roots. It's $4.99. It's universal. And then to round out the week is Knights of the Card Table, which I'll let Brett explain because he's really into this game. Okay, so it is a dungeon crawler card game where you are kind of making your way through. It's set up like a dungeon crawler. So you have uh, cards that instead of enemies that you're fighting. And so you come up with a row of cards, and you can choose to fight any one of those cards that are in the row. And then a new one kind of rolls in. So it might be someone to fight, or it might be uh, an item that kind of re... kind of 
refuels you, gives you health, or gives you like a, a little container of milk that kind of adds a buff to your to your attack power or some element within there. And you're basically just trying to cycle your way through all of the cards and reach the end, and then you go on to the next level. And so levels can be multiple uh, rows of these cards. You can end up being three deep, two deep, up to ten deep at times. And you're just basically trying to cycle through these. As you go, you're unlocking additional uh, weapons, additional armor, and additional characters as well. And so the, what I really thought was neat was the... Uh, additional arm, uh, additional weapons are actually different types of dice. So you start out with a D4, and that's what you're rolling to attack. So your enemy might have, you have to get a, a roll of two, and so now you can roll one, two, three, or four, and so as long as you get a two or higher, you can attack this guy and take him out. The problem is, once you start to unlock those other swords or weapons, they might be changing to a D6, or a D8 in, in the next one, but those have kind of these things to kind of lower their attack power. So like the D6, you have an automatic minus one all the time while you have this D6. So even if you roll the one, it's really a nothing. And so when you go to attack, they're gonna attack you instead. Or if you roll uh, the D8, it's a minus two on it all the time. So you have to find ways by drinking the milk to offset that or take a chance and hopefully you'll just roll high and attack these characters. Because if you lose all three of your hearts, then you lose that that level and then you got to restart it. Uh, there are these cool bonuses where, like, say you drink three of the milks in a row. So you get to choose any of the cards you want to do. So if you... To see another milk come in, you can grab that early. You don't have to wait for the card that's at the front of the line. And so if you get three of the milks, you get a special bonus where it levels you up an extra two for your next attack. Or if you drink three of the, the health potions, then you get some extra coins. And so there, Or you kill three enemies in a row, then you get an extra attack in your next turn. So there's all these little kind of combos that you can find as you're playing through the game and those will help you out in various ways and so they kind of lead into your strategy of how you want to attack the cards or how you want to uh, pick up the cards and equip them uh, depending on if they're going to give you some sort of a combo as well. Yeah there's those little like kind of strategy elements to play the three in a row for the special bonuses and to switch, you know, as you un upgrade the new weapons, you can then switch between weapons, and that's going to give you different dice rolls and different attack potential, but they also have the kind of their own detractors, so you have to kind of balance that. Just for me, it seemed like the game never amped up in challenge. Like, I was always fully ready and prepared for whatever it was going to throw at me. I don't know, like, there's the necessary randomness of rolling a dice, and you don't know, like, say you need a three, you get a one, you're going to take damage. You can never prepare for that fully, but still, even with that, it never seemed like I was going to die. I always felt like I was ready, and I, I kept going on to the next level thinking, I've just been in the tutorial stages, they're going to ramp up, and I played more than I thought I was going to, and it never really did seem to ramp up for me. Yeah, so that's... I do have some issues. So I really like the bones of the game, and it was once I played through more of it that some of these things started to creep up, and I could see some of the places where things need to be tweaked in this game. And so initially, one of the things that's first immediately apparent is there's some kind of weird thing going on with the way they've monetized the game. So... I looked it up, and the Android version of the game is free, and it uses in-app purchases, so what, let me take a step back. So when you kill, um, go through, there's like a rolling mission setup, like we see in a lot of these games, and when you complete uh, one of these missions, you get some gold coins, and you get some of these frozen ice pops, and those uh, you can use to then purchase the additional, so you unlock the the additional weapons and armor and people, but then you still have to pay for them. So they unlock at various points, and then you still have to pay to actually equip them. So you, but it's a pay once and then you own it. But it's some combination of those coins and the ice pops. And you also have to spend coins to unlock the next level every time. 
Fortunately, they are very liberal with those coins uh, in the iOS version, at least. I didn't really play the Android version. I just looked it up. Uh, and you get a lot of those coins. You don't get quite as many of those ice pops. They do come up, but not as many. They're obviously the premium currency. The problem is, so on the Android setup, you're, there's pay, there's $10, uh, $10 or $12 in-app purchases to unlock like combinations of ice pops and gold, or you can watch ads that get you free coins in increments of 500 at a time. iOS, they're really good about handing out, it's a $5 pay once app. And then they're really good about handing out the gold, not as much about the ice pops, but then you have to spend a bunch of gold to unlock each level each time, which is kind of odd with a paid app. I mean, granted, they're giving you plenty of coins. It's not, it's not a problem. The problem is you're spending those coins on levels unlocks when you're going to need them to unlock the other additional equipment. And the, the problem I have with the additional equipment unlocks is you never know when they're going to come. I have piles of gold. I have enough of the ice pops to unlock some additional equipment, but I can't do it. It won't let me because I haven't reached a certain level in the game. And it's really unclear. I know they're working on that because I talked to them about that. And they almost released an update today, but then there were some issues that said something about auto-buy levels, so I'm hoping that means they're addressing the coins and the levels, and reduced mission requirements, which I'm assuming that means they're going to be more free with giving you the coins and the ice pops. But something has to happen there, because it just doesn't make sense with a paid game. $4.99, whether you like it or not, is considered premium on iOS. There's got to be some kind of fix there. I, I, I don't know if they didn't know how to how they were going to monetize it, but just something seems a little odd there. Yeah, I saw that, and I just kind of ignored it because the coins were coming so readily, but I do see the whole impl implications of it. Yeah, my biggest problem was not being able to unlock because I wanted to try the other dice. I wanted to try the, the different dice. Some of them have other luck combinations with them. So I wanted to... I was hoping that by unlocking more of the dice that things would be a little more interesting. But I, I agree with you. They need to either ramp up the difficulty or introduce new characters that do something slightly different uh, or something to kind of change up the gameplay. This has so much potential. I love the format they use. The writing in it is absolutely hilarious. And mm -hmm. I love the art style. And I, I love the whole, like, setup of the game. It's just, I think they need to do something to just make it a little more compelling, a little more interesting, and allow you to get the that other equipment faster than the way they're doing it right now, or give you a better idea of what you need to do to unlock that equipment earlier, especially uh, within, like, a paid game structure. And I think it could do really well. I, like, I've been playing a ton more of Meteor Fall because I, I'm beta testing their new daily challenge. And I think this could be, like, I, I know they got inspiration for this game from Meteor Fall. And I think they could really kind of be another one of that style of game. They're just almost there. It's just a few things tripping them up. And I think if they can tweak the gameplay a little bit, they have this great setup for it. And it's just almost there. It's just... It needs a little work. Yep. And so that's Knights of the Card Table. It's $4.99. It's universal. And I think that's everything for episode 91. Yep. That's all I got. Brett, thanks for joining me. A pleasure as always. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.